0: To get started visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss.
1: Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
2: A mid-morning dance with the devil from the Farmer of Fury. It's
1: life, Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator.
2: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
3: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We are now officially in the final hour. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, over in Brussels, the negotiators from Downing Street are hammering out the deal with the EU to leave by October the 31st. The crucial question is, will it be ready by tonight? Predictably, the midnight deadline set by Michel Barnier came and went last night, but both sides say they are now inches away from agreeing to a document in principle that can be presented to the European Council tomorrow. Of course, the trouble is, nobody really knows what's in it, so nobody really knows if it's going to get through the Houses of Parliament. Just to help things along, there's a bunch of Remainers on the Eurostar heading to the land of mayonnaise and mussels. Dominic Grieve, Vince Cable and David Lammy are using their expenses to travel first class in order to convince the Eurocrats that we don't really want to leave. Even Caroline Lucas has torn herself away from the Extinction Rebellion protest to join up with them. What an absolute shower they are. We'll keep you updated every step of the way. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we'll be joined by Rakiba San from the Henry James. Action society to talk about ISIS jihadis being brought back to the UK. And we'll be finding out why so many of us are now turning our backs on lavish displays of wealth and sexy outfits. Plus, I'll be asking what's up with Lewis Hamilton, who's apparently now decided to save the world after polluting the hell out of it for the best part of the last 10 years. 0344 and we're joined by LaDonna Harvey in California a little bit later on as well. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. Across the UK online and on DAB
2: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on
4: Talk Radio
5: Remember
3: This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 03444991000. Patricia's got a message from Lewis Hamilton. Yes, I will give up most things that give me joy so you can drive round and round in circles in four-miles-per-gallon car and a stack of rubber tyres to boot. Sure, Lewis. Uh, here's one from Chris who says, My prediction, Boris's deal won't be much different to May's deal because the EU wouldn't agree it. Macron won't agree to give up French fishermen's access to our waters. Well, we shall see. We'll keep you updated on that uh, as and when we have something for you from Brussels. Let's talk now, though, to Colonel Richard Kemp. Uh, who is, of course, a um, uh, former army officer and a man uh, who has served in very many dangerous and uh, and and very sort of far flung places. Richard, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, the reason we're talking to you this morning is because there's been a slight change to Remembrance Day and the poppies. Uh, basically, they will not only now pay tribute to fallen British and Allied armed forces, but will be inclusive of that ghastly phrase, "All modern Britain." Now, I'm not that bothered by this at all, but the more I think about it, and the more I think about guys like yourself who have fought in military action, um, the less I like it.
6: Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you. I think that um, the, you know, the poppy, from its inception, the poppy appeal and, and our remembrance ceremonies have um, have always been uh, intended to commemorate primarily soldiers, sailors and airmen mm. from Great Britain and um, our former empire and commonwealth who have fallen in war and i think to you know i I don't i don't have a real problem with extending it to for example british civilians that were killed during wars and indeed during terrorist attacks but i i am slightly concerned that there is potentially a dilution and that this could be a slippery slope Mm -hmm. to remembering all victims of wars which of course is something we should not be doing because it includes people who have been our enemies and people who have carried out mass murder, rape and torture, such as the Nazis and the Islamic State and various others throughout history.
3: Yeah, and we have this kind of debate, do we not, every year more or less, when we come up to November the, uh, the 1st and we come up to Armistice Day as well, because basically poppies start getting sold and the usual suspects come out and say they want a white poppy to represent everyone that died. Um and I'm I'm with you. I mean, you know, it's not it's not inhumane to say we don't wish to commemorate uh, our enemies' deaths.
6: No, uh, we we should not commemorate our enemies um particularly those of those who uh, have behaved in such bestial ways as many of our enemies have behaved. Mm. Uh, one thing one thing I would um comment on which your listeners may or may not be aware of is that when we have the 2 minute silence on um Remembrance Sunday or Armistice Day um, one of the first minute is intended to commemorate those killed in war, British and Commonwealth soldiers and sailors, airmen, and the second two minutes is to commemorate their immediate family, their wives and their children. Um, and so, remembrance already, really, despite the British Legion's previous uh, d- definition, has, has already included many who suffered as a result of war. Um, and it's, it's something you know. I, don't, I, don't, I, I, I think it's, it's in many ways it's a personal um a personal reaction really Hmm. remembrance to who you remember i mean i have relatives who were killed in war who weren't fighting in the forces and of course i also do remember them on remembrance sunday but many many people for example the um merchant sailors have a specific remembrance day for themselves animals killed in war for example have a remembrance day and so I think to you know I like you know as we discussed before I don't really have a massive problem with it but I do worry that it's uh, it's descending into a a sort of something that it was never intended to be and we, uh, many of us would be uncomfortable with.
3: Well, that is the trouble now, though, isn't it? Because you're quite right. Surely it should be a ceremony where you can stand uh, at the cenotaph or you can stand in your living room and you can remember who it is that you want to remember. It doesn't have to be kind of prescribed by officialdom that you must remember these people, which is the trouble with our society now, I think. We're always being told this is what you have to do and this is how you have to do it.
6: Yeah, that's right. And I, one, one concern you have, and it made me ill-founded is that i've I've already heard since the british legion's announcement of this which was done very quietly yeah. actually, for for reasons that they probably best understand but um i i've noted several people commenting that they won't take part in it, won't buy a poppy again because they don't like this sort of dilution of of strictly yeah. um, military remembrance and i can i can understand why that is but so that's a oh, bit of an overreaction
3: as well. I mean, we sort of live in this bizarre yeah. world now, where everybody's overreacting to everything all the time.
6: Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, it's like the white poppy that you mentioned before, the Peace Pledge Union, which, which has, which markets this white poppy yeah. not not as the red poppy, which is, uh, in to raise funds for wounded soldiers and their families and, yeah. and the families of soldiers killed in battle, etc. That theirs is purely to raise money for their own propaganda operation, which is all about diluting, um, you know, any principles and, and effectively saying that everybody is equal, everybody is right, whichever side they're fighting on. Mm. Um, and I, 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 I violently disagree with their attempts to hijack it, but at the same time, if people want to wear a white poppy, then let them wear a well, white exactly. poppy. Well, exactly. I mean, oh, we don't yeah. want
3: to start banning things just because we don't agree with them,
6: you know? I agree. And, Pete, and, and actually... I mean, they're, they're,
3: perversely, that's what a lot of people died for.
6: Well, that's right. Absolutely, it is. They died for freedom. They died for to keep our country clear of people who want to dictate to us. So, of course, we should you know we should respect and honour that. And people can have whatever view they want. But I think you know the 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 poppy has a particular meaning, and I do I do dislike those who want to try and hijack it for for their own sort of left-wing motive, motive. Mm. So, and it's always a left-wing motive, whatever your politics are, that's where it comes from.
3: Oh yeah, they're the ones that always want to ban everything, I'm afraid, and tell us how we <laughs> should behave, and tell us how we should be speaking, and tell us how we should be addressing one another, and all of that, and they wish to revamp the British and English language so that there are no words in it that might offend them. I mean, it really is quite remarkable. Just while I've got you on, Colonel, tell us what you make of the of the, the state of the, the Veterans Bill at the moment, because we've been talking about that for the last couple of days. It was thought it might be in the Queen's Speech, it wasn't in the Queen's Speech. Say they're still working on it. What, what's your view?
6: Well, I, I, I'm slightly sceptical about um, the, you know, the government's approach towards veterans and 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 indeed to serving soldiers because one, it, it ta- you know, d- looking after them properly takes a lot of money, and that's money that should be spent, of course. But um, when when the government is short of money, the first place it looks is is the armed forces Mm. in in every aspect of it because it doesn't consider that to be a vote winner. So I'm I'm doubtful whether there's the the funds available to really make things different and also the political resolve because there is so much effort going in now to other matters, particularly Brexit, that I'm not sure there is the resolve to support our troops. And Mm. it's not just their welfare. It's not just their health. Uh, It's also keeping them away from the vexatious prosecutions we've seen which have, which have been used to attack British soldiers and veterans from Afghanistan, Iraq, and Northern Ireland. And I think that, you know, these are areas that, that do require great political will. I, I'm pleased to see that um, today, I think it was announced that Colonel David Richmond, retired commanding officer of an infantry battalion who was the most senior officer to be wounded in action, has been appointed as head of the UK government, the new government office for veterans affairs. So that's I think that's quite encouraging news because, of course, he's a man who really understands the problems that troops face. But without that military commitment, sorry, the political will and without the finances, then even he wouldn't be able to do a huge amount.
3: No, of course. Colonel Richard Kemp, thank you very much, as ever, for talking to us uh, about not only uh, the Veterans Bill, but also about the poppy and how it is now going to be used to commemorate not just uh, those who died in military action, uh, but also those who have become victims of terrorist atrocities as well. More gun talk from a water pistol from the Farmer of Fury. The Independent
1: Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
3: Honestly, I just feel like giving up on everything, shut down completely. Why bother when the world is such a mess and people don't seem to care? I'm going to take a moment away to gather my thoughts. Thank you to those of you who do give a damn about the world. That wasn't really me, by the way. Don't worry, I'm not actually going to give up on anything at all. Uh, That was what Lewis Hamilton just said because apparently he's worried about the future, he's worried about the planet. Um, he's so worried about it that he sold his plane, his 25 million pound plane that he used to fly his bulldog around in from Los Angeles to Europe. He's worried because he thinks that not enough is being done to save the environment. This is a bloke, by the way, uh, who drives around in a Formula One car that does about four miles to the gallon, burns rubber like you wouldn't believe, and the whole Formula One escapade, actually, um, probably has a carbon footprint of Mars, the way they fly around pantechnicons full of stuff. And they play in places like Sydney, uh, Melbourne. They go to Japan, where they were most recently. They have a Grand Prix in America, uh, in Brazil. They have one sometimes in Argentina. They have them in South Africa. I mean, all over the world, these people go. Quite remarkable, isn't it? We're going to talk about that in a second. First, though, here's Ricky. wants to talk about Remembrance Sunday. Ricky, very good morning to you.
7: Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. The the, the subject of uh, uh, commemoration with uh, the pop Yeah. Um... In all fairness, that is open to those who feel they want to do something. Yes. I, I mean, my, my story, and this is all facts, by the way, Mike, you know, my story basically is, well, <clears throat> i had luck enough, but my father fell in Normandy, right. like many other young men, mm. right? And I happen to be, and I am, the only professional public dance hall scene promoter in the UK, Europe, or the States. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. Right. Now then, uh, in the 50th anniversary of uh, Normandy Landings, I found myself in the position of that. A Sophie, Cl- Sophie uh, clue a German girl who was um, assassinated by Hitler, was a-, a girl who never managed to get to a dance hall because Hitler closed them down. Right. But obviously my mother was we about the same age. She did get to go to dance halls. So that's probably why I'm here. Yes. But to get to the punchline. And what I did, uh, because I had the power to do so and the knowledge to do so, uh, I promoted a dance to commemorate the women who gave comfort and counsel to the sons and daughters of the fallen British allied and German soldiers and the American soldiers Mm -hmm. of Normandy.
5: Right.
7: And in in doing so... Uh, I found that all the nations that took part, uh, without me realising it, they all sent to me for the decorate the hall I was doing the event and using our Glenn Miller band, they all sent me their national flags. Huge things. Beautiful things. You know, I was quite taken aback, as I am at the moment, actually. Mm -hmm. But the point I'm making is, obviously, the sons and daughters of the following had to be catered for, and the woman did that, and they did it well by us. So, to keep it outside the, the poppy is possible. Um, so, I think that's just about as far as I think it should go.
3: What, to just the people who actually fought in wars? OK, get your, I think I got your point there, Ricky. Thank you very much uh, for making it. Let's talk now, though, uh, to our favourite PR guru, Mr Mark Bakovsky, because uh, I want to know what he thinks about Lewis Hamilton's outburst and his brand damage that has been done. There's an awful lot of people, Mark, and a very good morning to you. An awful lot of people on social media have been saying things like, we really like Lewis Hamilton, but this uh, is out of order and he's made a bit of a mistake. What do you reckon, Mark?
8: I, I, I think that uh, it, it's a struggle for celebrities, um, sports people who want to sort of recondition themselves in terms of how they engage with this debate. I think Extinction Rebellion, in some ways, doesn't need any celebrities. The negative publicity that, that is generated around the celebrities getting involved... Mm. You know, is it, is is harming those admittedly because real people of all ages—we don't see so many of what I call the Daily Mail calls and the slumpies being involved. <laughs> this is real people, yeah. um, of all ages, eighty-eight-year-old people, are doing what they're doing because they feel this. so. There's a crisis here that where celebrities look at these huge media events, and you have to say the Extinction Rebellion is on everybody's lips, both positively and negatively at the moment. They think, well, we've got to dive in and say something. Our brand has to relate to this. I'm traveling all over the world. I'm involved with generating a huge carbon footprint and all this sort of thing and it's nonsense because they haven't thought it through. Right. They haven't thought what their purpose is with the debate. They lend their voice to this and of course everybody says "What? you don't have permission to be involved. Think about yourself. It's sort of slightly ironic that someone involved with you know, motor racing travelling all over the world his carbon is currently huge and he's diving into this debate. It's not appropriate and it people really don't isn't. need him.
5: No.
3: People don't that, need him. It's a very good point actually because almost everyone who's been involved in it has had a lot of flat about it like emma thompson when she came to london the other week uh, the other month when benedict Cumberbatch got involved you know people were finding all sorts of adverts that he'd done in china for cars uh, which were not in any way electric cars but just regular cars and most of them quite quite gas guzzling cars and so you're absolutely right because most people particularly very wealthy people um can give up whatever they want they can say oh i'm not gonna um you know eat meat anymore or i'm not gonna drive around in in my lamborghini anymore but it doesn't really mean anything to anyone does it
8: no, it doesn't. And I think what's interesting is that many of you know, I, I always say that the Greta Thunberg speech, which was quite inspiring to a younger generation, that same speech was made. 30 years ago in Brazil by a 14-year-old Canadian girl, and what did that promote? It promoted the biggest surge for PR lobbying companies who earned millions by the oil and fossil fuel companies to sort of quash their message. Yes. Um, Well, I mean, the other problem
5: with an awful
3: lot of this Greta Thunberg stuff is that it's all lies. You know, it is complete and utter nonsense. And the idea that people are falling for it and buying it and repeating it uh, and the fact that Sky News keeps putting this woman on, uh, who I can't remember her name, but she's one of the founders of Extinction Rebellion, talking about how billions of people are going to die in the next ten years. It's just rubbish.
8: Well, there's a clear debate going on here, and there's you know, we can we can fight facts with facts. But um, you know, clearly something has tipped people into thinking I'm talking about this, and, and, and that that has to be positive because many of the, you know, it, it's it's a generation coming through. That's well, got no, to but you have to be. You have to be. Bit got careful. to inherit something. So we've got to. So therefore I think that you know we are talking about it which is which is which is positive and there is going to be some heated debate about it but going back to your point about celebrities I don't think celebrities are going to do any good for themselves because they haven't thought through why they should be involved and what they stand for in this it's it's just Sometimes we need an extra burst of publicity. Let's have ex-celebrities a step forward. That's going to do it. Well, that's running out of gas now, not just within the environment, but but right across it. People are thinking, where are the real people here? What do they feel about it? And, of course, social media allows people to turbocharge their arguments in a way that you haven't ever been done before in the old days of the old media. Mm.
3: Yeah, well, Lewis Hamilton's selling his plane with the best wheel in the world while he's still got a fleet of cars, including two or three Bugattis. uh, Are you going to buy it, Mike? And a giant, giant, well, not quite yet, no, and a giant (laughs) boat that sits somewhere off the coast of Monaco. Well, yeah,
8: it's pointless. That's right, because I think that, you know, there's a new people saying, you know, what is the point of all this, really? What is the point of having 35 properties all over the world? You know, and what good can I do? But what is he, what good has he thought through what is going to happen when he sells his boat and his jet and whatever? What is he actually (laughs) going to do? That's the question. Well, I Um, mean, maybe
3: he'll move back to Britain. You never know. Well, you know the old curses, Mike. Don't be famous and don't be
8: rich. If God wants to curse you, it makes you famous <laughs> and rich. So we're OK, Mike. Well, we're you know, okay. funnily
3: enough, yes. later on in the show, we're going to be doing the story about John Lewis, who apparently came out and said, oh, you know what? Uh, the new thing is uh, not to have any conspicuous displays of wealth. Uh, you must be much more kind of uh, 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 sort of calm uh, and much more understated in what you wear and what you do. I can't say I've noticed that that's the case, but I dare say pretty soon we'll see people like Stephen Fry walking around in a hair shirt.
8: Well, that, that, that that's an interesting. I think, he, he, you know, people like humble people this age. I think, you know, we want someone who's understated. The days are sort of bling and brash, you know, uh, sort of gone. I think there's a seismic change happening across celebrity culture at the moment. And um, a lot of people are a lot more thoughtful about it and and can offer their opinion. I thought the amusing thing is... You know, Piers Morgan deciding to run a poll about whether or not he should keep his job at GMB. Not a good idea.
3: Well, good luckily idea. for him, he managed to win that one. But I wouldn't be going for that again yeah, if I was him. At a stretch, a
9: stretch. Yeah.
3: it's
4: quite funny. I, I think to, he probably
3: you know, voted twenty-eight thousand times for himself. I would imagine, knowing him <laughs> as we do. But I mean, uh, I suppose if you if you don't tell the Kardashians about this, uh, no more conspicuous display of wealth. I'll have to tell them.
8: I, uh, well, I, well, it'd be inter- I, th- I think that, that it's fashion, isn't it? And yeah. I think that is going out of fashion. It truly is, Mike. I no.
3: really
5: do believe that. Oh, no,
3: I think you're right. Absolutely right. Mark, thanks very much indeed. Mark Bukowski there, PR guru to the stars. Uh, basically, as he says, don't get rich, don't get famous, because you get slaughtered.
5: This is Talk Radio.
0: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
5: More blasted rhetoric from the Banana
2: Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough.
1: (laughs) The Independent Republic of Mike Graham
4: on Talk Radio.
3: This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 Matthew Wright coming up at one o'clock, of course, taking all the way through until four o'clock this afternoon. Uh, I'm delighted to say now, though, we're going to take a slight detour away uh, from all the doom and gloom uh, of what we were just talking about there in northern Syria, uh, the doom and gloom about Brexit and the unhappiness factor. Uh, and instead, we're going to celebrate good food, good restaurants and pretty nice places, actually, all together with Simon Numford, who's Managing Director of AA Media. Simon, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. How are you? No, I'm very well indeed, but I'm slightly disappointed, I have to say, because the list of uh, the sort of top ten restaurants that I saw in a piece that you've got in your new guide, I've only been uh-huh. to one, I've only been to one of them. It's not good enough. Oh, you need you need to get out more. I do. <laughs> I do. Funnily enough, the one I have been to is the Three Chimneys in Skye, which is about the furthest oh, wow. one away from oh. where I live. <laughs>
1: Well, you've done really well to get that far, but it, it, it's, I'm sure you agree it's well worth the journey.
3: Oh, it's fantastic! One of the greatest meals I think I've ever had in my life. There, it was absolutely amazing and beautiful setting as well. But all I would say uh, to anyone setting. anyone who's want, who's going to go there is 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 make 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 a night of it. Don't sort of think about going there and, and coming back again because it's quite a long way away.
1: Oh gosh, yes, it's definitely an overnight journey. Yeah, yeah.
3: absolutely right. So this is the new AA guide. You've got 2,000 restaurants basically inspected for for culinary excellence. A lot of a lot of new um, additions to the to the to the guide, I think
1: yeah we've got about one hundred and forty new restaurants this year. this is our twenty seventh edition of the aA restaurant guide which started off in nineteen ninety two um, and yeah it's it's a really good blend of um, obviously existing well established restaurants that we know that cook really good food and are, are firm favorites uh combined with obviously Lots of new restaurants, and as I'm sure you can appreciate, and your listeners will appreciate, that you know there's constantly new restaurants coming into into the market, sure. and a constantly well, evolving scene.
3: One of the things I was going to say I've noticed is that you know we always used to be told, certainly when I was kind of beginning to beginning my gourmand journey, I should say, right, um, never eat in a hotel. But there's an awful lot of really good restaurants now in hotels. And funny enough, Carriages Bar and Grill in the Corinthia in London, I've actually been to the bar. I haven't eaten there, but I've seen what they do. And what it's amazing, they've got these kind of um, what can only be described as um, vertical barbecues, as I'm sure you know, um, where they roast the meats and the steaks, but they also roast aubergines. It looks incredible.
1: Yeah, it is, and that's a big feature of, of some of Tom's cooking there, and uh, he's replicated that from The Coach, which is his second restaurant in Marlow, which, again, is another great restaurant for those that might have been to the Hand and Flounders, but not his second restaurant, which is The Coach, which you, which actually you can't book for. You just have to be be the first to turn up because sure. they don't bookings. So, right. yeah.
3: But you've also got the Grave Time Manor Hotel in East Grinstead. You've got the restaurant in The Ritz as well. Um, so well, is it is it definitely now a thing that hotels have worked out that actually... They can do quite well, marginally speaking, in terms of their profits by having a, a, a quite an expensive restaurant on the premises.
1: Yeah, often you'll find a, a more of a fine dining restaurant in a, in a in a hotel, or you might find two restaurants of of, of diverse angles. One which might be mo- much more informal, but uh, definitely, you know, food in uh, rest in hotels. Has has got dramatically better over over the decades, uh, and you're seeing some really really good restaurants in in hotels now.
5: Yeah,
3: what about the one inside Tate Britain? Because that makes it as well, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's a really interesting restaurant, new on our guide this year, and uh, great great good good food, uh, and also a great wine list there. Really well curated wine list for anybody that's. That really enjoys their wine with their food as well, which is an important ingredient, obviously, for the makeup of the restaurant
3: certainly is. How important is the wine list for you guys to to, to, to sort of look at um, in terms of how well, either how reasonable it is or just how. Yeah. Um, I don't know how, how varied it is, I suppose. We
1: do look at the wine list. Um, we have a separate AA wine award, which recognises the best list in the country each year um, from that point of view. Uh, but it doesn't come into the actual assessment of the rosette that we give in terms of the food award. Um, but we do look at the wine list in terms of their you know, accessibility, um, their, their pricing given where they might be um, and how they might help educate um, uh, diners to, to choose an appropriate wine,
3: right? And do people get upset if they fall out of your guide? I mean, I can't imagine that you would want to name anyone that has, but do I presume people do fall out of it from time course, to time? Uh, of course,
1: they get upset because it's the nature of food. It's a very, very passionate and emotional subject. Food, and obviously, if you speak to any chef, um, you, you know they, they want to achieve the best standard. Uh, you know, and their teams are very passionate. So, so yes, but I think you know it's, it's always a a good sign if if, if, a, if a chef or a restaurateur is disappointed that they don't, haven't achieved what they wanted because it means it, it actually means that it means something to them in terms of that recognition.
3: Right. And one surprising one for me was the Chapter One restaurant in Bromley, which is yep. a god-awful place. I'm amazed they've got a, a decent restaurant.
1: Oh, no, that's been a been a fantastic restaurant under Andrew McKeish for, for many, many years,
3: actually. Has yeah. it? So yep. worth a visit, then, even if you have to go through Bromley to get to it? Yeah, absolutely. All so, right. Uh, no, yeah, I'd recommend that. Okay. What What about, have you got a sort of best restaurant? Is that too difficult to, to nominate?
1: Oh, gosh, yes, Mike. There's so many. but I mean... Or you have you we, got a personal
3: oh, favourite, maybe? I suppose maybe you can't show, um, show sort of bias. Yeah,
1: well, we're, we're blessed with so many great restaurants in the UK now, but I think if you look at our current A restaurants of the year, so you've got Cornerstone which is Tom Brown out in Hackney Wick, which he's doing some fantastic food in in an up-and-coming area, uncomplicated food, big punchy flavours with a real focus on sustainable and and, and fish, uh, which is great. And then you've got the Affordwich Arms, which is um, our restaurant of the year for England, refined British food, seasonal menus, uh, best that Kent has got to offer in Britain's uh, smallest town.
3: Amazing, and my my favourite, I think, in terms of quirkiness, yep. is is the World War II, the former World War Two spy training facility in. I, yes. th- I think it's Arasayg. Is that right, Arasayg
1: House? House. Yes, that's right. Um, so Sounds Scottish. Yeah, I mean, I think, yes, it is, and and I think it's really interesting that you you get all of these very uh, unusual places that, that develop into a, a, a either a hotel or or foodery or etc. So, uh, and we've got loads of examples in the guide this year. where they've got are in a beautiful setting. Um, or you know they just uh, they're in an unusual location, and as you mentioned before, like the three chimneys. But you know they're very very well established in terms of uh, delivering that.
3: And is there also finally a kind of a move uh, towards more vegetarian food, more vegan food in a lot of these places uh, as well?
1: Yes, absolutely. I think I think the key thing we see, Mike, is you know dietary requirements have become mainstream. So things like vegetarianism or gluten free or dairy free yeah. have become mainstream. Um, from that point of view, and we are seeing seeing a, 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 a recognition that you know plant based uh, dishes et etc are becoming a far far more um, in vogue.
3: Okay, well, good news for Lewis Hamilton, I suppose. Thank you very much indeed, Simon Nunford, Managing Director of AA Media. There's so many restaurants that are out there that I haven't been to. I could be quite busy. Uh, There's 27 new restaurants uh, in London alone. There's nine new restaurants in Devon. Norfolk's got six. Worcestershire's got six. Cornwall's got six. North Yorkshire's got seven. Um, Apparently the place with the best view uh, is somewhere called Mizu in Borrowdale. Uh, I'm not sure where that is. I'm assuming it might be in the Lake District, but uh, there's so many restaurants I have to get to. Little time. A
2: mid-morning dance with the devil.
1: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham.
2: On Talk Radio. Radio.
3: Independent Republican Mike Graham you know what to do 0344 uh, a lot of people seem to be upset by me slagging off Bromley I've only done it because Con Con the producer of this show is from Bromley he's just tweeted here he says what's wrong with Bromley London's biggest borough It's not even in London. Uh, Home of David Bowie, Charles Darwin and Enid Blyton, all three of whom are dead. Uh, David Bowie moved to New York to get away from Bromley. Charles Darwin went round the world to get away from Bromley and Enid Blyton went to Dorset and went mad. So actually, Bromley is the home of nobody that you can name who is alive and well and sensible. Thanks very much indeed. Uh, Let's talk to Paul who's in Stockfold. Hello, Paul. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, sir. What do you want to tell me?
4: Well, I just wanted to say I'm a week late, but last week they handed out the Nobel Peace Prize. uh, They did. Well, they gave it to the uh, Ethiopian president with our friend Greta getting second prize.
3: Yeah, well, second prize in the Nobel Peace Prize is not really worth having, is it?
4: Well, I just thought that they should really have awarded it to the Leavers and Brexiteers because that's over three years now, Mike, and we've been very patient. We've shown a lot of restraint and and good manners now. It's really pushing our limits now, this lot, trooping over to Brussels today. I think like, if they awarded us the money, I think we should be magnanimous and we should then teach the Ramonas that when we leave, there will be a life outside of the EU. And we can teach them that from day one, we're all ready to invest and we can invest in this country and deal with Europe, and deal with the rest of the world. We're all ready to invest in this country and the rest of the world and there will be a life the lights yes. will come on, the sun will come out, Mike, <laughs> and they'll be okay. Well, do you I'll know what? I'm head. actually
3: I'm actually starting to get a bit worried about people like David Lammy uh, and um, Caroline Lucas and Dominic Grieve, who've all had to go. No, no, can no. You,
4: look, 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 can you can imagine having people? to
3: sit next to any of them on a long train journey to Brussels? No,
4: Mike, Mike, you can help some people. There are some people that are beyond assistance. I'm afraid there are... Look, there are cases that are beyond... You know, the doctor will have to make a, make a case for them, but I can't help some people. But this
3: is it. What are they going to do? They're going to be so upset. They're going to be so miserable. They're not going to want to get out of bed in the morning. Well, they're, they're
4: professionals, aren't they? They are professionals, and my, my friend Grieve. And remember, I live where I'm in Stockfold... I live in Alistair Burt territory. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, so I am also... I've got my problems out here as well, but I'm fighting a case against dear Alistair. You know, he's betwixt and between Alistair. He can't make his mind up either. He hasn't got the Tory whip at the moment, so... Well, I've got my problems out here. I can't help you all in London as well. I no, no, I appreciate that,
3: Paul. But listen, the sentiment is the most important thing. And I think you'll have cheered an awful lot of people up by your magnanimity and generosity. Thank you very much indeed. Let's talk to Craig, who's in Oxford. Hello, oh, Craig. Morning, mate. Morning, how are you doing? Oh, brilliant.
2: Rejoice. <laughs> Climate change finally has the global ambassador it so greatly deserves. Who's that? Lewis Hammond has finally <laughs> spoken. He, he's tweeted from his iPhone yeah. on his private jet, right. flying back from Japan, where he's just spent a weekend driving his high-performance petrol car with no catalytic converter, right. round in circles for days, burning eight sets of tyres, hundreds of kilograms of fuel, <laughs> all the way while he's travelling back to his tax haven apartment in Monaco. Yeah, very close to his. Uh,
3: nothing. Very close to, to his, his yacht.
2: Yeah, where he contributes nothing to the economy in the UK or any of its efforts to cut carbon emissions or clean energy. So, Do you know all yeah, I could think brilliant. of when
3: I saw the story last night? Do you remember that footage of him where he got fined in Australia? I think it was in Melbourne. And he had one of those, yeah. like, supercars, but it was, out, it was before the race and he was in one of these Mercedes supercars and he was doing doughnuts in it, round and round and round, burning as much rubber as you could possibly burn with loads of smoke coming off the, the car. Uh, and he was kind of showing off, basically, doing figure eights and, and, you know, spinning the car round and round and round and spinning the wheels. And it was quite an impressive sight, actually. But what it wasn't was uh, in any way not polluting.
2: Well, no, what, what it was is they tried to, to prosecute him for dangerous driving or not being in control of a motor vehicle, and he argued that he's a Formula One world champion and he was in perfect control.
3: <laughs> Which is fair <laughs> enough, but don't tell me it's green.
2: Well, it's not, is it? And no. as I say it's just—it's complete hypocritical nonsense from yet another one of these uh, rich. A-listers like Emma Thompson. Yeah. I think um, Mark Bukowski yeah.
3: had it right when he said to us, actually, the celebrity should stay away from this because all it does is actually diminish the cause because they're all hypocrites. And in fact, somebody sent me a piece earlier uh, from Jude Law who actually has admitted that he's a hypocrite when he goes on these marches and when he kind of demands that everybody should be more green. And and Adam uh, Clayton from U2 as well, you know, who have one of the biggest carbon footprints in the world when they travel around uh, with, their, with their rock and roll show.
2: Yeah, the only time they really need to get involved is when you get children in need. When we get the endless procession of millionaires telling the poor people to donate money
3: yes. to uh, good causes. Yes, yes I, 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 really, I, I really, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it when they do that. That's great, Craig. Thank you. Very good call indeed. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the number. Uh, let's talk to Johnny, who's in Belfast. Hello, Johnny.
9: What about you,
3: mate? Hey. yeah, very good, mate. What, what can I do for you?
9: Oh, well,
3: you know, I was going to talk about Brexit
9: and Northern Ireland, but then about uh, who's that hero who drives the F1 car?
3: Oh, Lewis Hamilton.
9: Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Well, as soon <laughs> as I heard about him, I was online, eBay, looking for effigies.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, unbelievable, isn't it? The guy comes out with this stuff. Surely he must have thought about what he, what he was saying before he said it. I mean, because he didn't even make any point about how much he regretted burning all the fossil fuels that he burns.
9: Oh no! Don't be bringing up his past. The man's changed. The man's changed. He saw the light. Well, he hasn't he stopped. Left he hasn't
3: resigned from uh, from driving, as far as I know. Mercedes is still his team, um, and ah. Petronas, the, the petrol company, is still you know paying him billions and gazillions of pounds to drive at high speed right. around the world.
9: Yeah, us working class, we're so proud of him.
3: Oh, we we're are so proud of him. If only he'd come yeah. back to Britain occasionally and say hello. Uh, no, no, I know. I know. I could go around in the Pope a bit. Yeah, That's well, what he quite. Could do.
5: Quite. Well, speaking of that, did
3: you see Did you see the other day that uh, some people went to the Vatican to get the Pope's blessing for Brexit? <laughs> God. As if he hasn't so got I, enough on his mind.
9: To, 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 be, uh, to be honest, like, I'm not one who would follow the Pope.
3: Oh, is that right? OK. Well, of yeah. course. Well, I, um, I knew you'd be on one side or the other on that one, Johnny. What, what do you want to well, say about Brexit? Know, it, it, it pretty much still is the same
9: here. Um, you know, I was going to say that, if you're listeners now, I can only speak on behalf of myself and my own opinion because we're so divided here yeah. still. In, in Northern Ireland, that uh, don't forget about us, the people who want to leave the EU, mm. and the bigger picture for us is you know, we don't want to be ruled by bureaucrats or Eurocrats, because they're the ones who are pulling the strings. They're and the you don't
3: want to be ruled by Leo Varadkar either, do
9: you? No, we do not. Well, that's one side of the people here, but the, the nationalists here which I respect, don't get me wrong, they do want to united Ireland, and the EU would have that. Now, what the, what the nationalists feel they understand is, yes, they may get their united Ireland, but they won't have it for themselves. They won't be a, a, like an like a independent country like they so wish. They'll still be ruled by Brussels yeah. and they will be a state. And Ireland is no longer neutral.
3: And what are you are hearing? I mean, what did it. Because I, I know sometimes that we, we hear from the DUP, they were in a late night meeting again last night. But I imagine that sometimes the conversations that, that are had in Belfast are different from the ones that are had in London. What are they saying to you well, guys well, over here? Sure.
9: Well, there's just been a tweet. I was trying to get on a. I was listening to a radio show this morning. Yeah. And uh, Arlene Foster, oh, God bless her cotton socks. Like, what? She tweeted that uh, she wanted an emergency meeting for everybody to actually go back to work for a day or two. Right. Uh, to chat about the, the upcoming Brexit deal. Now that that suggests that uh, something's been said in terms of what's going to happen when we leave. And uh, the, the well, and they're saying the threat is that we can still be tied in, and not the, the customs union, but the uh, the other thing.
3: Well, you mean the single market?
9: I uh, no. Yeah. Is it the is it custom union? Customs union.
3: Well, what they want to try to do, well, well, I mean, what the, yes. what the, what the, yeah. what the Dublin politicians will, will try to do, what Europe will try to do, uh, is to tie Northern Ireland into some kind of deal whereby um, the changes that would, would take place as part of being British would only happen once you cross the Irish Sea, so that effectively... But it's a kind of a nothing conversation it about... Is, it doesn't the, matter.
9: The backstop was never an issue. Sure. we had Theresa May on video saying it was never an issue. No. Well, nobody
3: wants to put a border issue. in, right? So why yeah. would you?
9: And the only person responsible for making a hard border would be the European Union. And that's for Northern Ireland and the Good Friday Agreement. The Irish... Now, I'm talking about Irish-born citizens and yeah. Northern Irish-born citizens. We have a unique arrangement where we can freely travel between one another. And that's within the Good Friday Agreement, and we still can retain our British nationality or Irish nationality. Yeah. If we so wish. Sure. And and when we leave, which I hope we do, and I personally speaking, it should be a no-deal Brexit, clean slate, everybody gets on with their business. Yeah. And that won't affect the Good Friday Agreement either, because it's strictly between the UK and Ireland. Exactly. Even though the EU and America, the Democrats, who we know are crazy, and the traitor Tony Blair, who organised the peace, Peace Accord. When, and I, I'm not—I'm proud to admit that I voted against the Good Friday Agreement because I knew what it was going to cost. Right. In terms of who was going to get paid off, barrister ways, who was going to get paid off? Now, this is only my opinion, and who was going to get paid off here, there, and ever mm. Stop the fight. Well, in any
3: in any political agreement like that, there are winners and there are losers, and the people well, with the loudest sure, voices, sure. the people with the loudest voices, do the best out of it, as has Sinn Fein done, as have the nationalists.
9: And the Sinn Fein, now... As a party, what they're doing, because of the, the influx since Merkel opened the borders, they are looking after any foreign national. Now, I have nothing against these people, don't get me wrong, but they're using them to get their votes. Yeah. To try and get their way to, re- to stay within the European Union and to fight against any sense of us stand within the UK, yeah. obviously.
3: They're doing the same in Scotland. You know, they're inviting people to come and live in Scotland from Europe, which is fine. Uh, they're giving them the vote on whether Scotland should be independent, right, of Britain, but they're not giving that vote to people who are actually from Scotland who don't live there.
9: The SNP are dangerous. And that woman over there, what's her name again? I keep forgetting it. Who Nicola? Oh, she is mental. <laughs> she is chicken oriental. There's no, there's no. She's so full of happy horses, doo doo. It's unreal. Yeah, and the SNP is so dangerous. Well, independent to be ruled by Europe. I know. It makes no no sense. sense.
3: It doesn't even mean independence. But, Johnny, I've got to let you go. We've got to run. Thank you very much indeed. Lots of different thoughts there from Johnny in Belfast. He wants to leave the European Union, even though we're always told uh, by the Northern Irish parties that Northern Ireland voted to remain like we're always told that Scotland uh, voted to remain. Well, it didn't. There's a lot of people that voted to leave and an awful lot of them uh, more than voted for uh, the SNP at the last general election and the last Scottish election even as well.
1: Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
3: If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say.
2: The Independent Republic of Mike
5: Graham on Talk Radio.